Our uh, scripture reading for today is from John 3, beginning with verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a Jewish leader. He came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could do these miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born anew, it is not possible to see God's kingdom. Nicodemus asked, How is it possible for an adult to be born? It is impossible to enter the mother's womb for a second time and be born, isn't it? Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, it is not possible to enter God's kingdom. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't be surprised that I said to you, you must be born anew. God's Spirit blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. The same is, is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said, how are these things possible? And Jesus answered, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Lord, we ask that you would open up your word to us today so that as we listen to your scriptures and we hear them proclaimed, we would be transformed uh, into a new birth uh, that we may live the life that you've called us to live in Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Uh, some weeks, you know, have a theme and the theme for my uh, week this week uh, was babies. So it turned out. I didn't expect that to be the case. Uh, we've just uh, had Emmeline's uh, first birthday, so I thought I'd transitioned out of, from having babies into a toddler. Uh, but I learned this week that uh, my friends Ann and Stephen had had their new son. Uh, was just born in Birmingham. So on Thursday, uh, Jessica called me and said, do you want to go to Birmingham to see the new baby? And I said, why not? Let's go. So she left my car there at the charge building at the office and she picked me up. We drive to Birmingham. We see the new baby. We visit for about 15 minutes uh, and then we came back home. And so a quick visit, but we had to go see. We had to go see our friend's uh, new baby because of that word that we all use or all seem to use about childbirth. Uh, we always say, so it seems that a baby is a miracle. And don't we all say that? Sometimes you might think that's not true. Later in my week, uh, we were taking care of uh, Jessica's uh, brother's son, and it made me very glad that I don't have a newborn in the house anymore because they're very tiring. Uh, but still, you see a baby, and we just almost inevitably say that it's a miracle. And even though we may understand all of the science and, and how a child comes into being, we still have to use that word. Because we experience this new life as, as a gift and ultimately something that we just have to give God the credit for. And so we are talking about a miracle today. We are talking about a miracle not of the first birth that we all have experienced. There are 20 some odd miracles in this room today. But we're talking about also the miracle of a second birth. The miracle that Jesus is telling Nicodemus about in the scene that we have just read. Nevertheless, a couple of weeks, as you 
no doubt recall we have been going through some of uh, John Wesley's sermons and uh, he preached a sermon on, on this text called The New Birth and we are following along some of the points that he makes in that, in that sermon today. Uh, but you know, in the, the part just before this, and we talked about this in previous weeks, um, we discussed another miracle, the miracle of what we might call justification. And for Christians, the doctrine of justification is about what happens when God looks on those who have sinned against him, who were in the wrong, and uh, does an amazing miracle of forgiving them. And we call that justification. That because of Christ, we can be declared to be right with God even though, uh, even though we have sinned against God. And that's a miracle that God does for us through Jesus to forgive us. This, however, is a miracle that God does in us. The miracle of the new birth, or we might say the miracle of regeneration. That means the same thing. The, the miracle of being transformed. The miracle of being changed. That's what the idea of being born again is all about. That God will actually change us. Not just forgive us, not just turn away from looking at our sins, but look deeply at us and say, I love this person and I will make them anew. And that indeed is a miracle. It's a miracle that we all must experience if we want to see the kingdom of God, Jesus tells Nicodemus. So today we'll talk about three things. First, why? Why do we need a second birth? Why do we need to be born again? Two, we'll talk about how. How it can be that we will be, how can it be that a person is born again? Does it make sense to Nicodemus? How can that make sense for us? And then third, we'll talk about what happens when we are born again. What is the nature of the new birth, we might say? What actually changes because we have been born again? So first, the why. Why do we need to be born again? I notice that Nicodemus goes to Jesus under the cover of night. He goes under the cover of night. There's something about Jesus that he has to suss out. He has to figure out. He has to find out what is going on with this person who is so obviously sent from God. But whatever it is, and we don't know, for some reason he has to go under cover of darkness where no one else will see him. It seems that Nicodemus knows that there is something in Jesus that is responding to a nothingness that is in his life. So he goes to Jesus and he says this strange thing. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could do these miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus has seen Jesus' miracles. And look, you don't need a miracle unless something's wrong. You need a miracle to respond to the brokenness of the world. And so Nicodemus has seen what Jesus is doing. He sees that Jesus is answering the problems of sickness and death that are around him. And he's looked on Jesus and he says, I've got to find out more. I've got to find out that if what he is doing uh, maybe can be done for me. I wonder if that's what's going through Nicodemus's head. Nicodemus doesn't articulate exactly what it is that he seems to see Jesus answering in response to his own life, but it must be something. 
We as Christians uh, would put put it this way. Nicodemus might not quite put it this way, but this is how we have come to understand this as the community of faith. And we know, and I talked about this many weeks ago now, we are made in God's image. God made us to, uh, to be His very good creation. He made us to be those through whom the rest of the world would find out what God is like. He made human beings in His own likeness as a representation of God in the creation that God made. But we know as well that all of us have failed in that calling. We fail to do as God has called us to do, and that sin begins uh, with the story of Adam and Eve. But we all know that we've all participated in that. We've all done things to throw our own lives into disarray. We've done things to throw the lives of other people into disarray. And so there is a need that we can't fix on our own. I was uh, putting... I had to return an, an item to the store that I bought. And, you know, you try to get it back in the package so you can take it back. And the thing just never goes in the package right, does it? It's just, it's just askew. And that, so it is with us. We can try to make amends. We can try to uh, even repent and start to live in a better way. But still, the wrong that we've done, we can't ever fully fix on our own. Because the consequences have already been set into motion. And we need... A miracle to make those things right. Really, we're in need of two miracles. um, Because the consequence of us failing to be who God has called us to be, uh, we learn this from Adam first, but we know it just by looking out there in the world. The consequences of our sin uh, are two things. First, we stand in condemnation. We've done wrong and we deserve punishment. And the answer to that is uh, what I mentioned within the last few weeks, which is justification. That God declares us to be in the right with Him even though by all all, uh, rights we are not. That God has forgiven us. That God has given us a verdict of righteous, of just with Him. That's what justification means. And so that itself, that itself is a miracle. That solves the problem of condemnation. But we have another problem, and that's the problem of death. What happens with Adam and Eve is when uh, they reject the way of living that God has given them, uh, the result is death. When we don't live as God uh, has called us to, if we don't live in union with God, when the soul is separated from God, the soul dies because we can't live apart from God. And inevitably what happens is when our souls are in disarray, then when our, our souls become separated from our bodies, And our bodies may make it for uh, 80 or 90 or even 100 years, but ultimately we can't live when our souls are disjoined from uh, the bodies that God has made for us. And so the other consequence of our sin is death. We need a problem or we need an answer to the problem of death. And the only answer to the problem of death is new life. And we see that in the resurrection of Jesus. But what Jesus tells Nicodemus in this passage is that new life is possible through a new birth even now. That Nicodemus can begin and we can begin to experience new life in Christ, the new life that comes fully through Jesus' resurrection and when he returns. That that can begin in us even today. That's why we need a second birth. 
We need a second birth because no matter how nice we may be, no matter how good we may think we will be uh, or we can be, uh, we still need an answer to the problem of the reality that we all face death. So how can this come to be? How can we experience new birth? How can we experience newness of life? Uh, Nicodemus is confused when Jesus tells him that he needs to be born again. Nicodemus hears Jesus very literally. And we get frustrated with Nicodemus. Come on, Nicodemus, think critically just for a minute. He's making a metaphor here. Uh, but Nicodemus says, well, you look, it does, that doesn't make sense. A, a human being can't go back into his mother's womb and be born again. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Um, and so for him, it makes no sense because he's not grasping what Jesus is trying to tell him. For us, sometimes when we talk about being born again, um, it doesn't make sense to us for another reason. For, for Nicodemus, this was all unfamiliar territory. But for us, we've heard this phrase of being born again so often that sometimes we forget what it means. And we associate being born again perhaps with a moment where we have said yes to Jesus, and those moments are supremely important. But we've forgotten that a new birth results in a new life. And that if we're going to say that we're born again, it results in a transformation of our character that is beyond any power that we can, we can grasp on our own or that we can orchestrate or engineer on our own. And sometimes in our culture, this phrase of being born again has been tossed about so much that for someone outside the church, it just means, oh, you know, that person's really serious about his or her faith. But it hasn't actually, uh, sometimes the way that we use the term, we forget that it refers to an actual transformation of our lives. An actual transformation of our lives. Well, how is that even possible? Well, it's possible only through a miracle. Only through a miracle. Uh, Jesus tells Nicodemus that just like the spirit or the wind, same word, blows wherever it wants to, and you don't really know where it's coming from or where it's going. And even with modern uh, meteorology, we still sometimes don't need, seem to know where the wind is coming from or where it's going. It's beyond our comprehension. Uh, he says, just like that, um, it, it, it must be with anyone who's born again by the Spirit of God. That this is something that's beyond our ability to identify and put in a, in a pigeonhole and say this is exactly how it happens because it's something that's beyond our comprehension. And that's because it's the gift of God. It's something that God does for us. And it's not something that we have earned on our own. The word again, you might notice some of your translations as you were reading along might have said something a little different. And it probably has a footnote with the other, other term. Some of you might have read, you must be born again or born anew. And you might have a footnote that says that that word could also be uh, from above. Some of you may have it the other way. Your translation might say that you must be born from above with a footnote that says uh, anew or again. And the reason for that is that the Greek word there could mean uh, either of those things or both of those things. Uh, it's sort of a play on words here, being born a second time is not like the first birth. It's not just doing over the kind of birth that we had when we all came into this world. This is a birth that comes from God, that comes as the gift of God. 
And that gift of God enables us to trust in Jesus and is characterized by our faith in him. The gift of faith that can only come from God. The gift of trusting in Jesus and all that that entails. And so that's how we can be born again, only if it's something that God does in our lives and if we say yes to the gift. Well, what difference does it make? When you're born again, what does that actually do? And again, we've said uh, and bantied about this phrase of being born again so often that we forget sometimes what it's really supposed to refer to. It doesn't refer to that moment where we accept Jesus and say yes to him, though that moment is very important. Um, What it refers to is what new birth does for our whole lives, which is to give us a new life. A new life that is defined by holiness and happiness. And for Wesley, uh, those things must go together. And I think he's right about that because when you think about the things that we do um, that separate us from God, so often what we do is we try to fill up our lives with other things. Uh, Whether that's a particular relationship or a particular substance or a particular activity We do those things thinking that they will make us happy instead of seeing that it is only God who can make us happy. And what we need aren't, uh, what we need isn't all those activities and people and substances. Those will only make us temporarily happy. What can truly make us happy is being made into a new creation. Uh, What can make us happy is being the people that God has called us to be. What can make us happy is being whole. And the word for that is holiness. Is actual transformation. See, this is what we forget. A lot of times, we as Christians like to dwell on this concept of being... uh, This is what we tend to say. Well, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And that is true. We are sinners saved by grace. Um, or some of you with a more uh, Latin bent might say that you are simul justus et peccator. That's just Latin for simul at the same time, simultaneously justus justified, in other words, made right with God, et, you know, that's the, uh, that's the past tense of eat. No, it means and. Um, et uh, peccator is a sinner. All right? At the same time, justified, God has declared you to be in the right, and you are uh, a sinner at the same time. We're just a sinner saved by grace. And that is right in its way. Because we should never forget that we haven't earned our own salvation, that it's God who has given given it to us. But what we forget is that God doesn't intend to leave us in our sin. God intends to change us, to transform us, to give us new hearts and new minds and new eyes. Wesley says when we think about new birth, it's kind of like you know a child before it's born, the ears are in development, the eyes are in development, and we now know, they didn't know this back in Wesley's day, but we now know that a child can hear and see, but certainly not what we can hear and see as those who are in the fullness of life. But when you are born again, you have eyes and ears that can actually be used to perceive reality, so to speak. In other words, our spiritual senses are made new so that when we read Scripture and pray to God, we may actually hear what God is speaking to us. And when we look out on our neighbors, we will see people that God created 
and loved rather than people who might be our enemies or whatever. That God intends to change our hearts. God intends to change our eyes and our ears and our very lives. To say otherwise is to deny the power of God. The power of God isn't just to forgive us. The power of God is to change us. And that doesn't necessarily happen in a day. It doesn't mean that uh, we have to do all the right things to earn God's favor. That would be to forget that this is all the gift of God. But God wants to actually do something with us, with this new life that he's given us. A new birth can happen in a minute. But a new life means a new life. It means a new life. And what's this new life look like? Uh, we might call these uh, the, the birthmarks of the new birth. I've got, I've got a lot of molds, but uh, I've got a, one birthmark in particular. It's hard to see now, but it's on my arm right there. As I've gotten older, it's kind of faded. Some of you might have a birthmark. Think of these as the birthmarks of the new birth. How are we marked as those who've experienced new birth? Wesley says three things. We know that as uh, we're characterized as those who are defined by faith, by hope, and by love. By faith, by hope, and by love. To be born anew means that you have faith. And not just the kind of faith where we give an intellectual assent to, all right, I agree with everything in the Apostles' Creed, and I believe that God sent Jesus, and I have all the right doctrine, and therefore, you know, I'm good, right? No. The kind of faith we're talking about is the kind of faith that is trust that is trusting that God can tell us how to live in a better way than we can come up with on our own. The kind of trust that says that uh, we know that God will be with us even when the circumstances look hard. The kind of trust that says, Jesus, I want you to rule my life, and I don't want to rule my life for myself. So that's faith. We also need hope. What does hope look like? Hope. Hope is knowing uh, that God through Christ has given us more than the life that's right before our eyes. Hope is knowing that God isn't done with the creation that he made. Hope is knowing that God has promised that Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead, that Christ will come again to make things right, that Christ will come again with a kingdom that's defined by peace. That Christ will come again to wipe away every tear. And if we can hope in that, what that looks like is living like Christ has already returned. What that looks like is having so much trust, so much hope in Jesus, that we don't think we need to win the victory for ourselves. And finally, those who are marked with the new birth are marked with love, are marked with love. Love for God, and that's why we show up to worship. That's why I hope we would seek God day by day. But we're also marked by love for other people. Yes, even people we don't like. Yes, even people who are our enemies. That's not possible in human terms. It is possible with the gift of new life. That we can look on other people and see that they are those whom God has made. 
and that we would uh, treat them as God who has called us to treat them in obedience to him. John will later tell his disciples, later in the Gospel of John, if you love me, then you will obey my commandments. And a lot of times uh, Christians have reduced Christianity to, well, you need to follow all these rules, and if you follow all the rules in the right way, then, you know, you're good with God. But that's the opposite of how it's supposed to work. How it works is that we are offered newness of life through Jesus and that God will give us hearts to love Him and love others. And because we love God and because we know that we should love other people as God has called us to love them, then we're willing to obey. Then we're willing to give God control over defining how it is that we should live. And so we must remember that we are in deep need of newness of life. To answer not only, not only the fact that we have uh, rejected God and stand in need of punishment, but to answer the reality of death. Because we need new life and new hearts. We also must remember that the way that God does this is nothing short of a miracle. It's the gift of God that comes to us. It's not something we earn on our own. It is the gift of God in our lives. So that, so that we may be not just left where we are, but changed. So that we may grow with Christ day by day. So perhaps you today recognize that uh, Christ is doing new work in your life. Um, and is giving you new life day by day. My prayer for you today is that you will be confirmed in your faith, in your hope, in your love, and that you will continue to seek God, knowing that the gift of new life um, comes from Him afresh, day by day for us. Perhaps some folks need to say yes to Jesus for the first time and to say, you know, God, I haven't experienced this power in my life, but I want to. God, help me to do that. So examine yourself, examine your life uh, as we pray together and ask God to speak to you like he spoke to Nicodemus and ask God to call you to newness of life, whether for the first time or for the thousandth, uh, so that we may be those who are truly, truly called um, as those who've been given new life. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would make us anew today.